It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, I want to take some time to really share with you thinking about Mexico and the crisis of the Mexican drug cartels, and the crisis of the Mexican president, Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador, called AMLO, which is what I'll use for the rest of this conversation. Because what you have coming together is a more and more aggressive cartel system, and a president of Mexico who basically has decided that his approach is what he announced in 2018, which is, Hugs, not bullets. Now, you know, when asked about kidnappings, which is one of the things which has caused us to really start looking at Mexico, Obrador said, quote, how do we avoid kidnapping with a better society, with justice? So his approach has been basically to sidestep the cartels, to avoid taking them head on, and as a result, to really encourage the growth of the cartels in Mexico, and the cartels are already very, very serious problem. So let me start with the Mexican president himself, because it was his statement in a press conference last Thursday, which led me to decide We had to take very seriously where we are, and we have to recognize how really big a problem we're faced. In a press conference, which was his reaction 
to Republican congressmen reacting to a terrible moment when two Americans were killed in daylight abductions after their minivan, a total of four, traveled across the U.S.-Mexican border into Matamoros, Mexico. The Gulf Cartel later apologized and said the kidnappers had acted on their own and they were turning them over to authorities. Now, first of all, the arrogance of the cartel apologizing and the idea that Americans are basically at risk. And the State Department has said, you are at real risk now going to Mexico, which is very sobering. And the total number of kidnappings over the last few years has escalated dramatically, much more than I had realized. So a number of Republican congressmen said very strong things. And in reaction to that, this is what President Obrador said, quote, we establish our position at once. We are not going to allow any foreign government to intervene, much less the armed forces of a foreign government to intervene in our territory. And starting today, we are going to initiate an information campaign aimed at Mexicans who live and work in the United States and all Hispanics to inform them about what we are doing in Mexico and on how this initiative from the Republicans, besides being irresponsible, is an offense against the people of Mexico, a lack of respect for our independence, for our sovereignty. And if they do not change their attitude and think that they're going to use Mexico for their propagandist, electioneering, and dirty political purposes, we're going to call them not to vote for that party due to its being interventionist, inhumane, hypocritical, and corrupt. Because we do not accept what the senator said yesterday. Mexico is to be respected. We are not a protector of the United States, nor a colony of the United States. Mexico is a free, independent, and sovereign country. Well, if, in fact, the president of Mexico were successfully involved in crushing the cartels, that might make some sense. If he were involved in limiting the number of dead people in Mexico, that may make some sense. But let's be clear. We are in the middle of a crisis in which this last year, over 100,000 Americans died from drug overdoses. Now, at one level, that's an American problem because we have a culture so sick and so lacking in self-restraint that people think it's reasonable to take the risk of doing drugs, even though they know drugs kill. On the other hand, it's also a problem with Mexico because they are the primary source for a range of drugs, usually on a pass-through basis. And fentanyl in particular has been coming straight across the border from Mexico but if you go back and you look at the whole issue of how drugs became common in America in the last 25 years, there is a huge Mexican component of it, and the cartels have been remarkably successful. And we should remember that when you talk about the cartels, these are increasingly sophisticated, increasingly powerful organizations. We have tried to communicate to the Mexicans that we are not going to tolerate the cartels who are more and more aggressive more and more coming across the border. And it was fascinating. When, in 2019, when President Trump suggested we designate the drug cartels as a terrorist organization, the Mexican foreign minister, Marcelo Ebrard, tweeted, quote, Mexico will never accept any action that entails a violation of its national sovereignty. We will act firmly. I have already sent our position to the U.S., as well as our resolution to stand up to transnational organized crime. Mutual respect is the basis of cooperation. Well, sounds great, except they don't stand up to organized crime. They're, in fact, the allies of organized crime. They have consciously sidestepped dealing with 
some of the most powerful of the cartels because they're afraid of them. And frankly, the cartels have so much power, so much money, the total number of soldiers available, and they're really sort of gunmen, available to the cartels is greater than the entire Mexican army. And there have been actual fights at airports where the cartels have waged real campaigns. Now, we're seeing a growth in the U.S. of people who are aware of this. So, for example, in April 2021, Texas Governor Greg Abbott published a letter to President Biden urging him to designate the cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. This is Governor Abbott, who, after all, as a Texas governor, has the longest border with Mexico and has a huge population of Mexican-Americans who, by the way, are also opposed to the cartels. And the last thing somebody in Houston or Dallas or San Antonio wants to see is the kind of Mexican drug cartel penetration that occurs in all too many cities in Mexico. So here's what Governor Abbott said, quote, major Mexican drug cartels like Los Zetas and the Gulf Cartel easily qualify as foreign terrorist organizations. He went further saying, designating Mexican drug cartels as foreign terrorist organizations will give your administration new ways to fight back. Now, another Texan, Representative Dan Crenshaw, introduced a bill earlier this year to authorize military force against the cartels. Representative Chip Roy reintroduced, quote, Drug Cartel Terrorist Designation Act, which would require the State Department to designate the Gulf Cartel, the Cartel de Sinaloa, and the Cartel de Jalisco Nueva Generacion as foreign terrorist organizations. However, when the Biden administration is confronted with this, just as with China, softness and weakness are the word of the day. Attorney General Merrick Garland, in an appearance in the Senate on March 2nd, when asked if he would designate the cartels, said, quote, I wouldn't oppose it. But again, I want to point out that there are diplomatic concerns. We need the assistance of Mexico in this. Now, that's a terrific statement, Attorney General Garland, except the reason we have the problem is you can't get the assistance from Mexico. There's no possibility that the Mexican president is going to designate any of these as terrorists unless the other cartels ask him to. Now, if the other cartels saw a chance to wipe out one of the cartels, they might go to him and say, look, you can make the Americans feel good and you can wipe out our, our opposition. But lacking that, there's no possibility he's going to take that. And of course, continuing her performance as the funniest White House press secretary in history, rivaled only by the performance of the vice president, who is the funniest vice president in history, Corinne Jean-Pierre said during a press conference, quote, designating these cartels as foreign terrorist organizations would not grant us any additional authorities that we don't really have at this time. The United States has powerful sanctions authorities specifically designated to combat narcotics trafficking organizations and the individuals and entities that enable them. Now, that is just plain flat not true. And in fact, former Attorney General Bill Barr recently described Mexico as, quote, well on its way to being a failed narco state. And he further went on to say, remember, this is a former Attorney General, we have to be more active against the cartels. In my mind, we have to approach the cartels more like ISIS and less like the mafia. Now, what does that mean? It means you go to a war footing. You don't go to a FBI enforcement fitting. Very different structure. Now, according to the State Department, foreign terrorist organizations are, quote, foreign organizations that are designated by the Secretary of State in accordance with Section 219 of the Immigration and Nationality Act as amended. FTO designations play a critical role in our fight against terrorism 
and are an effective means of curtailing support for terrorist activities and pressuring groups to get out of the terrorism business. Now, currently we have 69 designated foreign terrorist organizations. Five new ones were designated in 2021. However, 2022 and 23 had zero new designated foreign terrorist organizations. But notice, the State Department itself says they are an effective means of curtailing support for terrorist activities and pressuring groups to get out of the terrorism business. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, there are a number of steps we can take. First of all, we can demand AMLO's assurances that Mexico respect American sovereignty 
and the American people. Because, of course, they have opened their border. They have over a million people a year illegally coming into the U.S. They turn a blind eye to the cartels shipping drugs into the U.S. and to the cartels kidnapping Americans. So we can say, we agree, let's have mutual respect, which means, by the way, that you have to protect Americans who are visiting your country, you have to help control the border, and you have to stop the cartels from endangering us. They could also ask him, why did he allow the dismissal of a case against General Cienfuegos? I should point out, General Cienfuegos was, in fact, the highest-ranking Mexican official dealing with terrorism when he came to the United States, was picked up by the U.S. government, and had a full, complete case against him that he had, in fact, while he was supposed to be fighting terrorism, been in the pay of the cartels and had been helping the cartels. However, the Mexican government went crazy, said, you got to send him back. We demand you extradite him to Mexico. We're going to try him. He got back, and they promptly dismissed the case. I mean, you couldn't have a better example of the pro-cartel behavior of AMLO as president. They could also demand that AMLO provide a full accounting of his personal relationship with the Sinaloa cartel, which is, by the way, a very bloody, very dangerous cartel that has killed a lot of people, often in very gruesome ways. AMLO staged a public visit with El Chapo's mother, for example, and has spoken well of them. And the cartel acted on his Morena Party's behalf in the latest Sinaloa elections. So you literally have an overt alliance between a major cartel and the president of Mexico. They could also demand that AMLO provide a full accounting of the origin of his family wealth and investigate accordingly. Much of the money is in the U.S. His son lives a lavish life in Houston with no readily apparent means of support. Now, again, those of you who are well aware of Hunter Biden will recognize that you know sons doing well out of their fathers is not exactly a Mexican monopoly. We have some of it, too. But it would be fascinating to get a picture of the lavish house in Houston and just point out that it's interesting that this guy who claims to be a populist happens to have enough money that they're doing pretty darn well. We could also demand that AMLO actually exercise Mexican state sovereignty over all of Mexico, because the truth is that he's given up 35 to 45 percent of Mexican territory to cartel sovereignty. Literally, there are entire sections of Mexico in which there is no civil government enforced by the law under the Mexican Constitution. That these are areas that are now run by the cartels. People understand that if they stand up to the cartel, they die, often die in gruesome ways, having their body dropped into a vat of acid or having their head cut off. I mean, things that are done that they're designed, frankly, to spread terror. The Mexican cartels learned from groups like ISIS that terror works. And so they have gradually extended their power over the state of Mexico in a way which is, I think, very, very sobering and historically going to be a major problem. In addition, we ought to introduce legislation that targets the current Mexican regime, including a Mexican Democracy Act, which conditions trade relations on the rollback of AMLO's assault on the Mexican Independent Elections Authority, a Mexican Security and Trade Act linking Mexican access to American markets and finance to Mexican cooperation with the United States on security, extension of the angle list to Mexican nationals, which will roll up AMLO himself and a lot of the Mexican elite, a foreign terror organization designation for Mexican cartels, and a provision passed by the Congress 
to allow American forces to operate in Mexico against the cartels as an important message in defense of Mexican sovereignty. We need to understand how big a problem this is and how dangerous it is. And I would be very cautious about American forces going into Mexico, except on an extraordinarily selective basis. Bill Barr wrote in the Wall Street Journal that you have to have a much more aggressive American effort inside Mexico, including a significant U.S. law enforcement and intelligence presence. Frankly, we almost have to go in, in my judgment, and begin to encourage and finance and develop anti-cartel Mexican political movements, recognizing that the people who are willing to do that are literally going to put their life on the line. But ultimately, Mexico has to be saved by Mexicans. Mexico is not a country that we're going to be able to successfully occupy and dominate. And that's a lesson we should have learned from the recent past. Let me just give you some numbers so you understand how big a problem this is. Iraq, which has absorbed us since 2003, has 43 million people. Afghanistan, where we lost a war after 22 years of trying, has 40 million people. Mexico has 126 million people. So it is basically three times the size of Iraq or Afghanistan. Now, the idea that we're going to go in there, stir up Mexican nationalism, and remember, the Mexicans remember that we took Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California, and they've never quite gotten over that. They also know that we invaded the country under Woodrow Wilson. And at one point in the invasion, we were going after one particular group who had rebelled against the Mexican government. And at the same time that we were going after this group who was opposed to the Mexican government, the Mexican government was fighting us because they felt that we had violated their sovereignty. So there is a long tradition in Mexico of distrusting the United States. And I don't think we should assume that if we got too directly involved in Mexico, that in fact, the nationalist card wouldn't overwhelm the anti-cartel card. And so I think we have to be very careful about how we approach this. Now, Bill Barr, who's a very smart man and understands that, really encourages us to do as much as we can to get the Mexican government to support us, but also says in the end, we need to figure out what it's going to take to cripple the cartels at every level. And that may frankly include a fair amount of standoff capability. I mean, if we decide that we're going to go out, we're going to start hitting the cartels' factories, the cartels' distribution centers. These guys don't get rich so they can live in poverty. And if we decide we're going to go after their homes and go after their wealth, you create a different pattern. But we should also realize the cartels have a lot of allies in the United States. After all, the drugs do get distributed. There are large networks in the U.S. that are illegal. And we have to assume that if we go after the cartels aggressively, they may decide to launch an anti-government campaign in the U.S. that involves terrorism. This is a hard problem and not a soft problem. And I'm raising it this way because I want us to not just get emotional, pass something. We've declared them to be terrorists. Let's solve that. Solving the dual challenge of the mental health and cultural crisis in the U.S., which has led us to have such a huge toleration for people dying. And the second challenge of a group of Mexicans who have organized methodically for the purpose of exploiting the wealth of the United States by offering us illegal drugs 
in a way which has dramatically enriched the cartels. Because remember, they have huge amounts of money. They have far more money than ISIS ever had. They have far more money than any of the terrorist groups we've been fighting have ever had. And so you're really talking about taking on large networks of people who are your next door neighbors and who are surrounded by other people who don't like them, but they also don't necessarily like us. And I think we have to really think carefully about how we're going to go about doing this, because what we really want to do is arouse a Mexican nationalist movement, which wants to clean up the cartels and return Mexico to a safe country in which people can live decent lives without fear. Now, that is a very difficult thing. And frankly, if you look at our record in Vietnam, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, for that matter, in Haiti, which first we sent the Marines in the 1920s, we've not had a great track record of being able to figure out how to do this. I think that this is a huge challenge for us. But what I do think we have to do is decide that we are not, in fact, going to allow the president of Mexico to get away with trying to pretend to be a nationalist of purely honorable intent, seeking to protect his country. The fact is, this is a demagogue, a man who I think routinely has engaged in alliance with uh, organized crime, a man who is comfortable with Americans being killed. You know, when I dug into this, after we looked at what happened to the Americans who on Friday, March 3rd, uh, an innocent working mother died, four American citizens were kidnapped, two died. You know, this suddenly sort of shocked people, but it shouldn't have. I frankly was very surprised. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, 
You can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There are currently 550 Americans missing in Mexico. Now, nobody knows that. In 2021, 625 Americans were kidnapped in Mexico by cartels. In 2020, 831 Americans were kidnapped. This is a business. And it's one reason I tell all my friends to be extraordinarily careful if you go to Mexico, because you don't know what's going to happen. More than 79,000 people have disappeared since 2006, primarily at the hands of criminal organizations such as the cartels. In 2019, the number was 8,804 people disappeared in one year. So what you have is a clear disintegration of Mexican society. Close to two-thirds of all Mexican murders are cartel-related, not to mention the countless reports of kidnappings, mutilations, rape, and extortion. That's a report from the University of San Diego. According to Terry Cole, a former special agent with the Drug Enforcement Administration, quote, the Mexican drug cartels work hand-in-hand with government officials at high levels. Sometimes it's hard to tell who is who. And let me suggest, by the way, we have to be very careful about getting the American military directly involved because the danger of a corrupted American military, when you're dealing with cartels that can afford to pay millions of dollars to bribe people, is very real. And we shouldn't assume that we're immune to it. We've been very good at keeping the military back, having the police, the drug enforcement agency, the FBI forward. And I think you have to be very careful about in any way allowing the American military to get directly in contact with the level of corruption we're talking about. The former U.S. ambassador to Mexico, Christopher Landau, estimated that 35 to 40 percent of Mexico is literally under direct cartel rule. Now, think about that. I mean, 
Imagine in the U.S. if there were entire states you couldn't go to because they were now run by the cartel. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a situation where you can't go to the police because the police are the cartel. And to show you how hard this is, in 2021, Mexico dissolved a special unit trained by U.S. authorities to fight drug cartels because the unit was infiltrated by the drug cartels. President Obrador told reporters, quote, there's still cooperation with U.S. authorities, but that group that was supposedly of a very high strategic level was infiltrated by organized crime and its leaders are being investigated. Now, whether or not it was actually infiltrated, I don't know. I don't know enough about this to say that they were infiltrated or that was the excuse for disbanding them because they weren't infiltrated. You literally don't know when you're dealing with AMLO what he's doing and why he's doing it. But what you do know is that in Mexico, 95% of all violent crimes go unpunished. 95%. In 2020, Mexico's murder rate was 28.4 per 100,000 people. And the Wall Street Journal had an editorial where it said, quote, pervasive corruption at every level of Mexico's government makes it almost impossible to mount effective law enforcement or military operations without the cartels being tipped off in advance. The big cartels have become potent paramilitary forces with heavily armed mobile units able to stand their ground against the Mexican military. And again, we need to be aware of that. This is not some small ragtag group. This is not in any way like the American mafia. This is a system which has methodically taken over a third to 45% of a very large country. They have the sheer scale of money, largely driven by selling to the U.S., but also by looting Mexicans or by kidnapping people for a profit. And they've had a lot of practice at imposing their will on the military, on the police, and on local civilians. You're talking about a very dense, very big challenge. And remember, we have a really deep interest in this. The overdose deaths in the U.S., which are now more than 100,000 a year, that annual amount is more than twice the total deaths in the Vietnam War. Now, think about that. We have a project underway at English 360 to look at the Vietnam Memorial and ask ourselves, if you extended it to cover the last 10 years of drug deaths, which would be about 646,000, it literally goes down to, like, to the Washington Monument. And we're developing a visual that we're going to put on the internet just to try to drive home to people. We have been sleepwalking while our culture has decayed our children have been killed, and forces that are genuinely evil have gained power and audacity and a willingness to take us on. And now we have a direct challenge from the president of Mexico, who in essence is siding with the cartels and believes that he can, in fact, attack any American politician who is in favor of stopping the cartels. And that's what we're talking about. The anger on the American side is an anti-Mexican. It's anti-cartel. It isn't even in any way a desire to extend our power or our capability. It's a desire to make sure the border is safe, make sure that our children are safe, and make sure that there aren't enormously wealthy forces of evil willing to use violence in grotesque ways, threatening both our neighbor and threatening ourselves. I think this is going to emerge as a major issue. Mexico, in many ways, is much more important than Afghanistan much more important than Iraq, and I think probably comes third after China and Russia. And we have never paid it the kind of attention we need to, 
I think the Congress needs to organize working groups on how do we get to a safe, cartel-free Mexico, and how do we do it in a way that the Mexican people see us as friends and allies and liberators, not as a hostile country trying to colonize them. And in that process, we have to totally discredit President Obrador and communicate clearly how much of a danger he is, not just to Americans, but how much of an extraordinary danger he is to the people of Mexico and to the people who are innocent and simply want to lead decent lives, but are surrounded by thugs, by violent people, by genuinely evil people who are fully prepared to do grotesque things in order to establish their power and their right to be rich at our expense. This is the beginning of a conversation. We'll be doing several more of these because I think we have to start a serious conversation about what will rapidly become, I think, one of our biggest foreign policy and national security issues. And we also have to recognize a topic I'll be coming back to. The current crisis of mental health, drug addiction, all the different things that are beginning to pop up. We have to have a national conversation about how has this culture become this sick. Recognize that we are fully as much a problem as the cartels and that getting Americans to quit buying drugs, getting Americans to quit feeling they need drugs, finding a way to get back to thinking you can have a healthy, decent life doing many decent things without having to have some kind of chemical exchange that makes you feel different. I think all of this is something we have to have a conversation, and I hope over the next few months to be able to have both conversations. What do we do to help Mexico, and what do we do to help America? And I thank you for listening. News World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howe, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael 
to the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.